This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 85, where we're looking at Luke Cage, season 1, episode 11, Now You're Mine. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back Defenders, it's Chris, I'm back in the control again, there we're down into our final trilogy of episodes Mm -hmm. and we're looking at, this is episode 85 of Defenders TV podcast and we're looking at Luke Cage, season 1, episode 11, Now You're Mine. No, now but, you're mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was Hostage uh, Central. Yes, it was. Really good. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. Yeah, loads uh, loads of people uh, trapped in there. Everybody captured, and now they're all Willis Strikers. Yeah, uh, it was good to have everyone all in one place, yeah. like rather than being off down in Georgia seeing the sights of Seagate or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was, it was good that they were all together and it was all kind of all these relationships that we've been seeing all kind of melding together, you know, between Claire, Misty, Luke, Stryker, Shades, but also, uh, Priscilla, Inspector Priscilla, mm-hmm. um, and Queen of the, Queen Queen of the, of the Desert. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, all, it was all really good to see this all kind of play out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I really, uh, enjoyed that change up of pace, definitely. Yeah. But of course, if you want to hear our thoughts, you can always subscribe to us. Go over to defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and subscribe to uh, our podcast there. You can also go onto the website, defenderstvpodcast.com and listen to the episodes as well as searching Defenders TV Podcast in any other good uh, podcast catcher for Android. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. For any feedback, please just uh, send us on an email to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. We can also join us on our Facebook group over at Defenders TV Podcast. Surprisingly enough, just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV Podcast. And of course, we do tweet away as well, um, like any other good podcast. Uh, but we are on Twitter at Defenders Cast. So come and join us. Leave your thoughts. Leave your uh, ideas. Leave your theories. Discuss with ourselves and with other people and we will share it uh, on our podcast and to build the community around Luke Cage. Yeah, not long left to get your thoughts in, listeners. Not only a couple more episodes to go. Uh, our episodes released every Tuesday and th- and Friday uh, every week. So not not much longer, about another week left to go. Yep. And don't forget, if in case you have been and gone and enjoyed Doctor Strange in the cinema, you can jump back a couple of episodes and listen to our thoughts on Everything strange. Mm-hmm. We ran up and all the way up into the film uh, with our summer of strange, which where we covered the old seventies uh, Doctor Strange TV pilot that was released as a movie, and later then also recovered the animated version. And then, in case you have no idea who Doctor Strange is and why you should go see him, we have a one on one on Doctor Strange, which is a quick introduction given and hosted by the one and only Strange fanboy here. 
Literally, there's only one of them. Oh, not <laughs> Which is John. I am the strange fanboy. <laughs> You're not the one and only anymore, I don't think. Um, yeah, thinking about that, I think Willis Stryker could have fit in quite well in that 70s, uh, 70s Doctor Strange, couldn't he? Oh, oh big time. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should get into the episode, guys. What do you think? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, as we normally do, we take our five points um, for discussion. Good, bad, indifferent. And then we go through the episode with our five points and then defend or not, the episode of Luke Cage uh, at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think with that, Derek, what are some of your production notes? Well, Now Your Mime was written by Christian Taylor again, who wrote the wonderfully titled Dwick, uh, which we found out the meaning of on that episode. Pop back a couple to see what that one was. Um, We also have the director on this was George Tillman Jr. Really important. Uh, This director came from Notorious, the, uh, the biopic of... Biggie Smalls, uh, written by Chio Coker. So have a pre-existing relationship there on the, on a previous film. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with this synopsis for this episode? Sure. With the sound of bullets still ringing across Harlem from the Harlem Paradise shootout, Luke Cage manages to escape to the kitchen of the club with an injured Misty Knight. At the same time, Willis Stryker takes Claire Temple, Candace, the VIP hostess who testified against Cage, and the other civilians hostage. As the police surround the club... Alvarez and Stryker's mercenaries infiltrate it and Claire learns the truth about Cottonmouth's death from Candace. As Stryker uses the civilian hostages to bargain with Cage, demanding that they meet to finish their feud once and for all. In the ensuing chaos, Stryker escapes from Luke Cage after killing Dillard's fellow party member, Boone, just as the police SWAT team storms into Harlem's paradise. As they move through the club, Luke Cage is forced to surrender under the threat of the Judas bullets supplied to the police by Mariah Dillard and is placed in custody along with Shades. So there you have it. That's our production notes and our synopsis. So Derek, do you want to kick us off with your first point? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one for me to kick off. Uh, you know the way in these shows they always try and make the villain a bit more uh, relatable to to you as a as the audience member. Uh, they haven't really done that with Willis Stryker, but for me they did in this episode. Um, they talk about the fact that the uh, the crime that the two guys committed, uh, himself and Carl Lucas, was they stole a little red Corvette, just like in the Prince song. Uh, I am a huge Prince fan, and the fact that Luke, Carl Lucas and Willis Stryker were fighting over who was better, Prince or Jackson, well, it's always going to be Prince to me. It's never going to be Michael Jackson. So I'm now on the side of Will Stryker. The, oh my god, the crazy you bad psycho. guy. Yes. So uh, if there's anything that they could have done to put me on the side of the crazy bad guy who shoots people left, right, and center, it's call him a Prince fan, right? So, uh, <laughs> so that's it. They should have made Luke Cage the Prince fan, and I would have been on his side. But no, I'm now willing, willing Will Stryker to win this battle uh, for these 13 episodes. Yeah, the battle of the 80s, basically, mm-hmm. um, and the 70s, probably. Yeah, the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was better, Jackson or Prince? Prince. Or Madonna, maybe. I don't know. Um, I liked all three. <laughs> Answers into our Facebook group. We'll start a poll, see what you want. Nope, because I could be wrong, or people could be uh, <laughs> could be against me on this one. So this, there will be no poll. It is Prince. <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny. I mean, it was kind of one of my points in that we, not so much uh, the battle between Michael Jackson and uh, Prince, but it was the, the fact that we get Stryker's version of events here, um, describing uh, the red Corvette, but also just the fact that it was... That Carl Lucas, just by virtue of his surname, by virtue that his father um, 
Pastor Lucas was obviously a man of the church that he gets off free mm-hmm. um, from from that uh, running with the law after stealing the red Corvette. Yeah. Uh, but that because Stryker still had effectively a bit Game of Thronesy, his own mother's name. Yeah. Uh, that uh, he was the one that was thrown to the juvenile correction facility That's right. where. Things escalated even further where he kills one of the inmates and then also, um, his, his mother, Dana, um, dies as well, mm-hmm. um, whilst he's there. And Luke's father, Darth Vader, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, Luke's father, past, uh, Pastor James Lucas, it doesn't maintain his relationship with, uh, Willis Stryker's mom, mm-hmm. uh, once he's gone into prison. And so he feels left and abandoned, uh, by the Lucas family. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've heard that previously from, from Luke Cage saying that he should have been there for him, uh, when he was realizing who Willis Stryker was. So I, I really enjoyed this perspective, this angle that in effect, we're really getting it for the first time from, um, from the bad guy, from Diamondback yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not particularly controversial. I, it's more than likely what happened. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it's some skewed or twisted version of events. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, he is, um, absolutely and utterly sort of embittered by this whole thing. Is it too much? You know, should he have allowed the passage of time to have re- sort of reduced his revenge? Probably. Yeah. But I do like this perspective that is brought up to the reason for this um, head-to-head, uh, which is coming from uh, Willis Stryker's point yeah. of view. We do we do hear that Luke was sent off to the army, wasn't it? That was Rangers. his kind of – to the Rangers, right? That was his kind of punishment. Probably not the uh – the ice hockey team, right? The Rangers. Yes. Uh, probably means some form of, <laughs> some form of military force, uh, there. But, um, but yeah, I, I like, I like the, the idea of it. We also learned that, uh, that his mother died of cancer. It wasn't a drug overdose or, uh, turn into the bottle or anything like that. She did just die of cancer, but it was while Willis was incarcerated. So he wasn't there for her, uh, either. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was, uh, that was quite interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come in on this one mm-hmm. now because this was one of my points, just diving back in general. Um, he still feels out of place in Cornell's club to me. Really? Um, he just, it doesn't sit right. Yeah. In terms of Willis Stryker as a villain, it, it's, it's dramatically compelling as a narrative to have someone who has a, an emotional and a connection, uh, be this family connection with Luke being the one who's trying to take him down because it builds more tension mm-hmm. between the, the, the dramatic showdown. But the, the, the monologue he gave kind of seemed very Bond villainly to me. I totally get you. On it that. was just yeah. like it was like I'm gonna just say the whole history of why this is important to some guy you're just about to kill, mm-hmm. and it was just that was for us. Yeah, that's what that was for. Absolutely, but I do love they called it out at the uh, where Boone's going. Why are you gonna? Why are you telling me yeah. this? Why are yeah. you giving me all this backstory? It's like because you're gonna tell you're gonna see my mom. Tell her I said hi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh... no. I mean, it, it absolutely. I, I'm glad they called it out. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and. In, in some ways as well, I, I think you're right. I think he's not a particularly sympathetic bad guy here. I mean, Cottonmouth is more so. Apart from being a Prince fan, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, that, <laughs> that withstanding, he, he is effectively a psychopath mm-hmm. and crazy. Uh, and, um, it was interesting because that, and I think that's why, despite that, what he said in relation to 
what happened. I mean, unless it's a complete lie, um, doesn't seem overly twisted or, yeah. or, or something that I can see Luke Cage going, no, that's not what happened kind of thing. You know, yeah. it's fairly standard down to earth stuff, which means he is basically just a nutcase. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing that makes him less sympathetic than say Cottonmouth. And, um, it, it's a bit the same why Shades keeps calling him out as well. Yeah. Like you're kind of like going, actually, Shades is right here. You're mm-hmm. just—he is just nuts, absolutely. Actually, absolutely. Um, I think, and crazy and psychotic. And I feel that um, in the same way that we were saying that Cottonmouth, you know, it's amazing he built that empire um, with the club and, and had that rep. In the same way, I'm beginning to kind of go how has willis striker been able to become the crime boss he is like he seems like he's operating irrationally but then all of a sudden comes in and says things pretty rational you know like in terms of how he plays the hostage scene up to a point it, it, it it's it's actually pretty on the ball, but then yeah, he releases people, and you can't control the story then. So it it, it was interesting. Yeah, the, the, this explanation was also one of my points as well. Uh, but partially, I just thought it was a bit of a weird one. Um, so I totally take your point about it being a Von villain, Chris. The weird part about it is he does still have hostages in the building at the time, who he is expecting to kind of cover up the story, but he's telling this whole story over the PA system. Which Luke can hear the entire yeah. story. He's giving away his villainous plot as yeah. to why he wants to pin this on Luke. And there are still hostages in the building who can probably hear the entire thing. If Luke can hear it in the basement, clearly the PA system must be going into the club as well. So, uh, so yes, he is just crazy. I love that Chase calls it out very specifically and goes, I'm not going on the stand to try and defend what you did because that, this is stupid. This is absolutely stupid. And then they have their little altercation where he says to him, uh, we are going to have a talk when I get out of here. So, um, things are not going to be looking up for shades. He is in cuffs at the end of the episode, but it looks like Willis Stryker will be, that'll be Willis Stryker's next target, uh, after he takes out Luke Cage, I'm guessing. Yeah. And I think it's just the unhinged nature that I don't particularly like. I think that's the part because he's so he's not crazy what am I going to do next he's just unhinged mm-hmm. he, he yeah he, he flits he, between he, exactly yeah. and I think I think one of the reasons I prefer say Mariah Dillard Black Mariah or Kingpin and stuff is because while they are crazy they're more evolved kind of fleshed out character yeah. and I think by showing him that he's he's slightly by showing off more elements that he is Crazy mm-hmm. in two degrees just makes it go. What? What? Why? How is he? It it defies where he should be. Yeah, at he he should be a kingpin level guy, so he should get to a point where he gets crazy. Yeah, but they're having him more and more crazy now. They're not just flipping him. They're just showing him he's crazy, not crazy. He's a mix of both. Yeah, it's kind of. I think we did say before that it, that it does feel like he's killed his way to the top of the organization rather than worked his way through and gained respect. Yeah. Uh, from people around him and got that reputation. It seems like his reputation is he will kill you if you don't do what he says. Um, that's, that's kind of it. Um, and he does keep, he doesn't keep the madness under the surface. Like we did see that scene with Wilson Fisk where he killed a guy with a door in episode four of, or episode five, I think it was of, of Daredevil season one. We saw him go absolutely crazy and lose his, 
cool completely. But that was very rare for Wilson Fisk. Whereas this guy looks like he could turn a dime. He could have a, he could one minute have, be having a normal conversation with you about the Bible. And then the next, he's got a gun in your face or he's punching you through the chest. Um, a nice little touch in here, just a, another tiny point, uh, a nice little touch in there with the Bible that he hands over to, uh, to Boone to read. That really did look like the notebook that Kevin Spacey's character from Seven, I think it was just called John Smith in that movie, uh, it looked like the notepad that he was carrying around and writing in all the time, the crazy uh, scrawlings of an insane person. And you tell by the reaction of Boone that he didn't think Willis Stryker was as crazy as this until he opened up the book and just saw scrawled writing in every corner of, of every every Bible passage within the book. Every page he turned to had another scrawl on it, um, giving, giving another little insight into the fact that you're right, Chris. Willis Stryker is actually insane. He's not just a little bit wild, a little bit wacky. He is yeah. <laughs> he is crazy, yeah. genuinely. You know, this guy could, should be locked up for just in an insane side. Yeah, that was a book full of crazy. Uh-huh. Right there. Absolutely. Well, he's almost guano crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally. So, John, on that note of guano crazy, what's your point? Yeah, my next point is... Uh, we see Blake Tower, assistant DA, mm-hmm. uh, turn up. He was in Daredevil season two. Um, he was the assistant to Reyes, uh, DA Reyes, who mm-hmm. got taken down by supposedly uh, Frank Castle, who we also hear uh, his name mentioned uh, in, in this episode. That's right. But it was really good to see him back. Um, previously, he had fled New York. So from wherever he, whether it's before... Um, but I don't think it is because he does mention Frank Castle. Yeah. So he's returned. He looks all right. Mm-hmm. Um, he isn't being pursued by by Frank Castle like you could have imagined uh, would have happened to him given uh, the events of Daredevil season two. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was a nice little nod back to to those episodes. And it was good to see him come in and and mention this whole notion. I mean, to give him some props that you know. Anything that the police use today will be out on the streets tomorrow. Yeah. So we need to be careful how to handle this. Yeah. You know, there is this closed meeting between uh, Dillard and the mayor about mm-hmm. using this sort of new law enforcement weapon. Um, and so I really enjoyed his his little cameo here yeah. um, in, in this episode. Yeah. And there is that mention. That is where the mention of Frank Castle comes in. It is uh, Frank Castle uh, blew up the, st- the streets of New York with just regular weapons. What would he be like if he got his hands on these type of weapons? So um, really interesting. I like the, the concept of this, that you don't want to show that we have this because everybody will want it and things will escalate. Really, really cool idea. Uh, and very importantly, again, he is still ADA. It's still called out again. He's still yeah. assistant DA. So we currently don't know who the DA is because Reyes is gone. Um, whether there is just an assistant DA but he has not gotten the job of DA. He's not risen in the ranks yet. So that may be something they're saving for another another show. Yeah, maybe because in the comics he goes up against um, Foggy Nelson. That's right. And Foggy loses. Spoilers. Yeah, spoiler alert. It was great to see him in here, though. Really cool. Really cool to see him in the episode. Uh, Chris, do you want to take us on with your next point? Yep. Um, actually, it's following on from that. I do like the threat of the Judas 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially what that's, that would mean to Luke Cage season two, mm-hmm. essentially. In other words, um, you've had an indestructible man where gunfire is not an issue anymore, where these are still going to hurt him. They probably won't drill down and embed as much, mm-hmm. but they, they will hurt him. Yeah. And if enough. you shoot t- 10 of them at the same spot, they probably all together make up, 
that same kind of power. Yeah. And I, so I like that. I like that they're showing that every, every hero has this weakness. Mm -hmm. So in Daredevil season two, uh, the hand, the, the guys don't have heartbeats. So it's, it becomes more difficult and harder for Daredevil to fight them. Yeah. And this is, now this is Luke Cage hand goons. Yeah. In other words, he was overpowered for majority of it. And now he's, the field has been leveled yeah. again yeah. in this, which is interesting. Absolutely. And I think one of the weird parts about this was, I think we, we were talking about in a previous episode, that it felt like Willa Stryker was coming up with this concept because Mariah Dillard had, had proposed it, that she was saying to him, you've got Judas bullets, but maybe if you make something for the rest of the uh, rest of the police force and sell these weapons, it looked like he was coming up with that idea on the fly. Yet this episode, like one episode later, I think it is, um, he's now got tons of these bullets on the street because all the cops are filling up their machine guns with these uh, Judas Bullet 2.0. Yeah. So um, it went into production pretty fast. <laughs> well, no, that. Ab absolutely. That was one aspect, definitely. The other one was, I don't really understand why he told Luke Cage about them. Mm -hmm. um, as he had poor Candace tottering off the edge of the balcony. For me, it seems strange that he did that because I just feel that, well, you want him to struggle against the cops. That, that enforces and, and implicates him even further in the lie that he's, he, he's been trying to see. Yeah. By, by telling him, Luke Cage effectively just stood back, knew that he couldn't do anything. Um, and so, surrendered there there and then mm -hmm. and i think if he hadn't have known that you would have expected luke cage to have at least tried to take some of them and that would have forced the swat team to say you know we will fire if you carry yeah. on you know another warning another warning until then they actually start to shoot him and, yeah. and he gets hit now i, I suppose then it, it means well it's back to another uh acid bath and so on and that's going to take a long time and i know the show can't do that or <laughs> like my point being is that it made no sense for him to tell yeah. luke cage that i didn't understand that it's almost like willis saved his life um by doing that because you're right luke would have luke would have challenged him he says earlier on i'm gonna i'm gonna try and get my uh my christmas attics uh on you know, I'm going to yeah. go upstairs and I'm going to beat the hell out of everything that's in my way, just like I did over at Christmas Attic's place. Um, you know, but he doesn't do that. He, he goes upstairs. He takes out a couple of guards in some awesome scenes. Um, but then he stops uh, short of the police because he's been told they have the Judas bullets. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Can we just pause on that part as well mm -hmm. with the guy tried to do the karate flying kick? Oh, yes. At Luke, awesome. And he just stops in midair and then goes. Yeah. <laughs> over the head it was the Indiana Jones moment it was absolutely yeah. it was fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. really cool really good. it just shows if Daredevil or Iron Fist come up against Luke Cage this is probably what his what he would do with them he would just pick them up by a leg and throw them over his head you know <laughs> flying kick no <laughs> Derek what's your next point just one quick one for me. I loved that we got a direct question from uh, Misty Knight answered with a direct answer from Luke Cage. Um, it's something that the show has kind of struggled with a bit. They've they've held back a lot of answers when questions have been posed. Uh, but we do have that moment with Misty Knight going, who is Willis Stryker? And he tells her exactly who it is, yeah. uh, exactly what the connection is between the two of them. They are brothers, uh, leading to a great funny line from Misty Knight where she goes, uh, you, you've got a lot of crazy in your family uh, after she hears the explosion in the kitchen, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's nice to see them uh, starting to uh, starting to stand by their explanations of all of these characters by actually telling the story to all yeah. the other characters, getting everybody up to speed where they need to be for the last couple of episodes. So uh, it's just really happy to see 
um, that they're not blocking off that he doesn't want to go oh, I'm not I'll tell you about my past another time when we're out when we're safe or that kind of thing that they do to to block some some of the characters from knowing what's going on so nice to see that in the episode definitely um John do you want to give us your next one yeah, I, I love the interaction here between uh, Misty Knight and Claire Temple. Um, I thought it was really good. I, oh, yeah. I mean, I loved the fact that there was, you know, there was the acknowledgement I shouldn't have held you up against the wall by by the neck and, and throttled you uh, from, from Misty. Again, it, it played into the will the arm fall off or won't it kind oh, of thing yes. where she's using the dental floss to, to sew up... Um, part of the wound and part of the vein that's going to cut the blood off to the arm so i mean it would be really interesting to see whether it does effectively wither and die and she needs to get some kind of bionic arm i think that would be cool i mean i know it's supposed to be street level and and reality but it's still referencing the universe of thor and all that so for there not to be an iron man um yeah an iron man and all that so for there not to be maybe some point where one of these characters gets the a bionic arm you know we do have the armor from um daredevil which is created by melvin potter maybe the gladiator and so you know there is this um the, there's the Judas bullet. So there are these technologies there. And mm-hmm. for, for Misty Knight, just for everyone to know in the comics, um, she does lose an arm uh, and she gets a bionic arm replaced for her, her lost arm from Tony Stark. So yeah. this is a nice gag running through, through this episode anyway about yeah. whether she will or won't potentially lose this arm so it'll be interesting to see what happens um because even right at the end where she goes you're not taking me anywhere yeah um whatever you need to get done you need to get done here right now mm-hmm. so is that that the arm's going to get lost or it could be saved so yeah um i really like that but i love how they play with it yeah i love that luke says the first thing he says to her is uh, i'm surprised you didn't lose the arm you got claire coming in going uh yet that arm might have to come off unless i can do something about it um she ties her she ties her up with the dental floss and says this will hold for a while but it's still there's still a risk the longer you've got it in there the more chance you'll lose the arm and then as you say the episode ends with misty going don't get me out of here don't take me to hospital do whatever you need to do on the street so they're not going to be able to do too much more than claire temple did for her either so yeah. it's pretty much pointing to the fact that by the end of the series misty loses the arm because of the bullet and of course like the the really fantastic moment is where um they're talking about did luke cage take you out for coffee mm-hmm. um you know and just as misty knight kind of just passes out for a second she she basically says um we didn't have any coffee and you have claire temple going damn like you know <laughs> you know i loved loved that kind of interaction between these two on this episode it was really good yeah. i like that claire finds out that misty was with luke yeah and, exactly you know, because of that because of that point she says um, she says, I know he doesn't drink coffee. Yeah. So nice little touch. But again, they do refer to it a bit later on when, uh, when Claire and Luke are having their, their argument. I, another one of my points. I love the interaction between these three characters. It's great to see the three of them together. Uh, and I love that little point with, uh, with Claire Temple as he walks in. Um, he goes, I did the best I could, what I had. And she goes, uh, me, Dr. Sh- you bulletproof. Sh- that's your job. Yeah, and Misty goes, you're arguing like a married couple. That's so nice. <laughs> you know, nice little touches there from the characters. So, Chris, what's your next point? I'm just going to talk about the action in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is what I've been lacking for a while, um, where we've had a, a lot of expo- explanation, uh, exposition type 
character development episodes over the previous ones. Mm-hmm. This was a balls to the wall kind of action episode. This uh-huh. is what happens when Luke Cage gets cornered. Um, he wanted to go Chris Attic, as you said, mm-hmm. um, but he can't. So this is where we see him, yeah, still do- dodging and diving bullets. Well, not even. He's just standing up, walking away. Um, which actually, one thing I was noticing, they were spraying him with machine gun fire, and yet they were only hitting his back. But Misty's legs were fine. Yeah. I was like, really? He yeah. needs to be like kind of carrying her in a ball in front of him kind of thing. Uh-huh. And her head as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. It was a bit like, oh, these these guys are stormtroopers in a different life. Absolutely, um, I do, but I do like that they called it out because it has been something that's been annoying me for the last while. When these guys go up against him, they just constantly use bullets on him. He's bulletproof; they know it. Yeah, but they do say, "Why are we shooting at him?" Zip stops after he wastes another clip of bullets on him. Stops and goes, "Why are we shooting at the, this guy? It's bulletproof." And then Willis does call out, "No, no, you need to be shooting at her. Kill Misty Knight." Uh, and then we'll go after Luke Cage. Yeah. So, so at least they've called it out in the show. They do realize after 11 episodes of him being shot at at a bulletproof character, it's probably the guys are going to start learning at some point. I know they're idiots, but they do start learning at some point. I was expecting at one point one of them to have the, the Judas 2.0. Right. And that's how it was going to be. It was going to be like Luke just walks up to them anyway and mm-hmm. then they shoot him. It was like, what? Yeah. Um, but no, even, even outside of the, the actual armor gun base battle, the, the three scenes where he takes out people periodically as he's making his way from the basement up, mm-hmm. uh, those scenes are like we said, the one by the flying kick was brilliant. Yeah, it was cool. but even the other two were just good old fashioned Luke Cage beatdown stuff. Absolutely. And we get a Claire Temple beatdown as well, where she yeah. knocks somebody down that the stairs. That was awesome. And yeah. I love that she goes back to check him and just goes, ah, he'll live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, I thought for the moment she was super powered. I mean, she got him right. Like pretty good. Yeah. Right? Really good. Yeah, I love the action in this episode. Really, really enjoyable to see some good action in the center of the Harlem Paradise. Absolutely. And I think this actually leads me on to my next point because I just love the urgency and, and whether that's the action, mm. whether it's the tension of the, of the hostage situation driving everything. This was a great departure. As I said, um, just having all these characters together, having a really action focused, tense ridden hostage wielding um episode was to me really really good I-, I thought this is what luke cage needed um i'm absolutely all for the character development i'm absolutely all for um you know a gradual pacing but there are certain things um as well that Marvel should have some of which is this kind of action as well. You Definitely. know, it calls for, for that type of showdown to come and it came and it was really, really good change of pace for me with this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly something that you had mentioned previously as well, Derek, just before we came up to record about a lot of the loose ends have been tied up here. Yeah. There's a lot of scope to have a really interesting sort of final two uh, episodes, you know, unless maybe Shades does escape from custody or Mm -hmm. or whatever, but, you know, what's going to happen now? Because to an extent, a lot of this um, has been tied up within this episode. Okay, Mariah Dillard is still to be um, sort of maybe brought to justice. justice, Exactly. And I mean, as Priscilla, queen of the, the cop force said, um, you know, we need to now verify, um, 
some of these things, you know, all the uh, hostages coming out with conflicting and uh, stories about what went down yeah. in the club. So um, this will be kind of interesting, but I suppose as well at the on the face of it, there's, there's got to be some kind of big showdown between Striker and Cage. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and Striker and Shades, as I said earlier on. So yeah, they've put all the all the chess pieces are in the right place they need to be in for the last couple of episodes. I think. So Derek, do you have another point? Yes, and I'm going to use this one with the help of our listeners uh, over on our Facebook group, um, who've called out some of the big pop culture references in this episode. So first up, Jim Carrey says Diamondback calls the councilman Damon Boone Diet Obama. Boone says, you can't do this to me. And Diamondback says, yes, we can, which was Obama's 2008 campaign slogan, obviously. Uh, really good catch there. Like, that made me laugh quite heavily. Uh, Willis Stryker talking about that. Uh, Jeff Child says, I'm loving Claire, uh, Claire Temple more and more every episode. Uh, it was great to hear her called Night Nurse. So that was Sugar. Yeah, calling that, her Night was, Nurse. that was very cool. Yeah, nice little touch there. And Debbie Fisher calls out the big one for the episode, the one that any 80s TV fan probably got, which was, uh, what you talking about, Willis, from Shades to uh, to Diamondback? Uh, I love how they use this because obviously it's Willis Stryker. They use what you talking about, Willis, which is from Different Strokes and um, the character of Arnold. That was his catchphrase in in that show. But I love the reaction from Diamondback. Is are you doing jokes now when we've got all of this going on, Shades? Do you think this is the time to do jokes? You know, which I liked. It wasn't just a reference that people could pick up. It was called out that Shades was making a joke out of it, basically. So, and even then, Shades uh, Willis going to Shades. What are you doing, calling me by my first name? Yeah, that yeah. was. I was like, that was pretty. It cool. only I because I thought he was making the joke, and then I went, "Oh my god, that's actually his name." Yeah, they exactly. don't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. <laughs> Nice little touch there, definitely. That was a really good touch, yeah. I mean, the intimidation that you got from Stryker there was fantastic. And I, I also thought just with Boone in the church, the, the crazy intimidation that he, he, he manages to express to people, um, is, is quite something. It's really cool, I yeah. think. Given, you know, the whole, the whole talk about when he hands him a scotch and, you know, and there's also the Bible and there's talk about, you know, Scotsmen basically would, kill you in an instant um mm-hmm. like really sort of you could see Boone squirm oh absolutely and you could see that shades knew he had like f- up yeah yeah swear jar still in play a couple more pop culture references in the episode some that you may might may have missed if they're a little bit more obscure but uh it's the delivery of the lines from um from Willis Stryker uh first one was what's happening brother which is a little the placement of that gap is very important it's a little reference to a 1970s tv show called what's happening which featured the character for a rerun probably seen it on family guys probably the the show that references it most mm-hmm. often uh, a very popular american black sitcom from the 70s and um, so a nice little touch there as well and the last one which probably would have stood out as being very unusual if you hadn't seen the ice cube movie friday um which is willa striker about to throw candace off the top of harlem's paradise and says to her, bye Felicia, which is one of the main lines used in Friday about a girl called Felicia who's constantly irritating um, 
the character of Ice, that Ice Cube plays in Friday, and he constantly is like trying to get rid of her by going, "Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Get out of here, you useless woman." Basically, so uh, so nice little touches there, and some other. This is probably the most pop culture heavy episode I think we've had with yeah, that many different pretty references. Much, yeah, and so, of course, Candace spills the beans on Mariah mm-hmm. as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks so much to the Facebook group for those little uh, little catches. Yeah, as yeah. always. Thank you so much. I was expecting it. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> That's rerun <laughs> from, yeah. uh, from what's oh, happening. Okay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. But Darren, do you have a have your point? <laughs> I kind of going to use that one as my point, but I do have, I do have one more. Um, the obviously now your mind just to call it out again. Now your mind. The title of the episode song gangster. It's been my point every time that we've done an episode, except the last one. I forgot to put it in the last one, but I'm going to try and edit it back in so the listeners will never know. Um, but now your mind. Obviously, this episode is about Will Stryker taking. Uh, capturing the club and capturing everybody that's inside it. So he's ve- effectively saying Luke Cage is trapped inside. Now you're, now he's mine. He also uses one of the lyrics in the song when he's talking to Shades. He says to him, um, I never have a misplaced rhyme, which is just a real rap term for everything I do is always the right, always done the right way. So, um, so that's the, that's the music connection for this episode. John, do you want to give us your final point? Yeah. It's the Misty Nightclub Temple takedown of Shades. Oh, yes. Um, Thank God someone brought him down a peg or two. I love Shades, but I did love the battle between the three of them. Yeah, no, it was a great tag team uh, effort to bring him down with a with you know a good head to the uh, water pipe. Uh-huh. Um, loved it, cuffed him. Um, I was surprised Misty Knight was so able to um, sort of be effective in that fight, given you know she looked pretty down and out at one point but i suppose adrenaline and all that it was really good um i i mean i thought actually claire temple was going to be able to handle him all on her own uh-huh. with with the the wrench and the spanner that she she had so it was uh yeah i'm 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 glad to see that shades has been beaten down i i want to see what happens to shades next because i still feel he's i'm not clear about his role here. It feels like his piece has been taken off the chessboard. Yeah. To use the chess analogy from episode Absolutely. two of the show. It does feel like he's been, he's been taken off the board, especially with that decisive end of the shades itself by Claire Temple's foot to the shades drop to the ground. It just feels like a really decisive, now you're done, you're off the table. Yeah. We're now going after Willis Stryker. But he doesn't seem like he should be. No. And it, because he's been cast as this enigma all the way through, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. what is he? Who is he? Where is he from? I mean, you know, to begin with, it was, well, he's Diamondback's right-hand man. But mm-hmm. then it's kind of really, there's an antagonistic relationship there and that's not really come through yet now maybe as diamondback says himself we will have that conversation later Mm -hmm. when we meet up after this so maybe we will still get that and i'm sure we're more than likely to but at the moment i still feel that shades is still very much a bit of an enigma absolutely um there is that moment between the two of them the face-off moment between shades and diamondback where diamondback goes you've forgotten who you're talking to as in i'm your boss basically and shades shades response to him was you've forgotten who you're talking to again really showing that they seem much more like equals or they seem much more like maybe he's the reason why diamondback is in the position he's in because of everything shades did yeah and he's the front for shades almost um do do you know what i mean Uh, that kind of way but it does feel like shades has just kind of gotten to that point of going i'm taking no i'm taking no more of this i've gotten to this point and you're just in my way now um but there is much more behind shades that we just haven't discovered in the show yet yeah Yeah, <laughs> they're both positive, aren't they? Yeah, yes yeah, and yeah. no. Right? But, but. No, I completely agree. Yeah. I think it's 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 just 
I but I have the issue there, and I think I raised in uh, either last episode or the previous episode. The enigma is there. What is the secret he's hiding? And I'm hoping they don't leave it at that point. But you're right. The shades being destroyed was that decisive. Uh, now we're done with that piece. Mm. Now the only potential is Mariah gets him off, mm-hmm. and then that brings it back on the board. Yeah. Um, or I don't think Diamondback will break him out. No. I don't think Diamondback's got the, the ability right now. Unless he's going to break him out to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm hoping that we're going to see a bit more of him in the future. Really loved Theo Rossi's portrayal. Uh, throughout the season so far and hoping that's not the last time we see him. Absolutely. His portrayal's been really good, but if it's to keep him a mystery, then that mystery also, I think, needs a little bit of lifting as well, just to get a bit more from it. Because otherwise, I think it, it slightly undermines Theo Rossi's portrayal of the character yeah. that he's not necessarily as well explained as he could be, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, no mystery likes company. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. I think we can go on to notes now. I think that's pretty much the episode discussed. Uh, Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, A couple of notes from me. Um, First note is that uh, Luke actually calls out something that I said uh, in our last podcast. Um, It feels like these two characters could have just sorted this whole issue out herself and Willa Stryker if they just sat down and talked. Uh, Luke Cage echoed that in the episode. He goes, couldn't we have made amends a long time ago for this? You know, (laughs) which I I like that he's calling out exactly that point because it does feel like a conversation should have happened. Yet this is just built up to an uncontrollable point for for Willa Stryker now. He's now gone crazy because of everything that's happened to him in his life. If they'd had this discussion 10 years ago, would have been sorted. Yeah. One of my notes is I love the son of a preacher man, that playing as he is starting to describe, where the striker is starting to describe his story about his father. Um, Being a preacher man. I mean, okay, it's so on the nose, (laughs) so obvious, but it it just works. Um, You know, he goes, I just wanted to be acknowledged, but he ignored me for the miracle child, which is Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, just within the whole notion of Luke's and Willis's father being a chaplain and a pastor um, along with all that religious sort of sim- symbolism with the Bible mm-hmm. um, just the fact that Luke Cage is called the Miracle Boy like really really good I also love how he, how he describes the song saying his mother loved Blue Eyed Soul so Blue Eyed yeah. Soul meaning Dusty Springfield the singer is actually Welsh isn't she she's a, a Welsh singer so um, so not a black singer but singing singing soul music just like any good soul singer so a nice little touch there that the, I like that description of of uh, Dusty Springfield as a blue-eyed soul singer yep yeah, and then I'm going to jump in here with a note in that Candice we haven't spoken about Candice mm. Candice was uh, reintroduced again in this episode uh, first with uh, our lovely night nurse mm-hmm. and that was great we got some uh, explanation of terms of like her actually saying why she did it mm-hmm. um, but then at the very end She's being covered by Luke, and Luke catches her. So I'm just like, ooh, is she actually now going to to recant her statement? Mm-hmm. Because that does put her in a bad situation. Yeah, she's still alive. She's still able to dispute everything that Shade said, that Mariah said, that Diamondback has said, because she was a witness to everything that was going on in the club, plus she was forced to testify against Luke, or to to make the statement that Luke was the one that killed um, Cottonmouth, but... uh 
But no, she she knows the truth. But will she be charged with accomplice or will she be charged with um, stopping justice? I guess you might have to give back that money anyway. Mm-hmm. And one of the note for me, a nice little reference to Prohibition America in uh, in the club being owned owned by Lucky Luciano, one of the uh, very famous mobsters from uh, from early nineteen early nineteen hundreds, I guess, um, who owned the club and used it for obviously running um, a Prohibition. Or an anti-prohibition uh, alcohol smuggling ring uh, from from the Harold Club. Yeah, sarsaparilla. Maybe, maybe sarsaparilla. I don't think so. That's what they used to drink instead. Well, when when the law was around, it would be a, a glass of sarsaparilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, it's uh, it's bootleg moonshine. Yeah. But actually, but then speaking of that, so they built a secret room, but wasn't the whole thing about prohibition like the prohibition kind of like the underground railway where they would just move drink to and from in, into places. Mm-hmm. So they built a room with no exit except the Yeah, into the kitchen. So it's where they would where they would have stored the booze. Uh while, why did they while get they it in so. there? <laughs> well they get it in through the back door and walk it in. They're not under hostage. They're not under armed guard all the time. They're effectively saying once it gets in there, this is where they stored it so that nobody would find it oh, on the premises. Okay, because I kept expecting yeah. Luke to kind of bust through one of the walls and go into the sewers. Uh-huh. And I thought that would have made sense because, like, you know, like he would see a cobweb floating softly in a, a from a gust of breeze. Yeah, I'm like there's something behind here. Speaking of that, actually, I should have mentioned it earlier on that moment with Claire Temple where she's knocking on the wall with the spanner. I was kind of going, "This is going to take her hours to break through that wall. <laughs> she's going to be there for like weeks digging through a stone wall, and then suddenly you're going." Yeah, but Luke Cage can punch through walls. Yeah. Of course he's going to come the other way. That makes more sense. And we get the zombie <laughs> arm through the wall. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Had that, had that, uh, right the way, right the way back to Jessica Jones. That's one of his, one of his moves to punch straight through a wall. So, yeah. But I was suspecting, how did he know she was there? I, I was going to go, you're going to get hit in this. No, no. He, she tapped the whole way up and the whole way back. That so would be could, a great future scene, say, in Defenders where, you know, there's, a bad guy walking along the wall and then the fist just comes through the wall and knocks him yes, on the chin, knocks exactly. him out. That would be awesome. That'd be a great Can little we, uh, scene. That's the move, the Daredevil Luke Cage move. Daredevil tells him where, where they are because he can hear them oh, and then boom! Like yeah, like that would be cool. My final note really is just as Luke Cage leaves to go and do his um Atticus maneuvers up um in the club, he says, don't worry, I'll be back. And Claire Temple kind of like just lifts her eyes and is like so corny. Um, <laughs> really good call out. You know, this is a guy who, even when he was helping Misty Knight, seemed as though he was hitting on her. Uh-huh. Um, he is just super charm and chilled and it was just i love the call out from claire temple that you know you're so corny (laughs) so good like really good good. and another terminator reference for us i think we've had uh, the last four episodes we've had three terminator references that i was count that i was counting out so uh so luke cage is the terminator of harlem there you go he is the new arnold schwarzenegger (laughs) Um, i think on that note i think it's time boys uh chris do you defend this episode of luke cage uh, I do defend this episode. Um, it's been hit or miss uh, for me for the last couple of episodes, um, but this one brought it all back. They brought all the key players back in, excluding one obvious exclusion, mm-hmm. um, or missing one obvious exclusion. Uh, but this wrapped up a lot of threads. It didn't really add too many more, which was a good thing. It mm-hmm. hinted at some greater future possibilities, which is fantastic, such as Misty's arm. Um, but now I'm I'm pumped to see the last 
couple of episodes yeah. through. Yeah. I want to know how this is all going to be wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I completely defend this episode. Um, I've been on the waiver for a while, but they, they brought it back and they hit it, they hit it out of the park with this one. Excellent. Excellent. John. Do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do defend this episode of Luke Cage. I give it four and a half whiskey glasses out of five. Uh, the reason why I'm scoring it so high is because I love the change of pace. Um, like Chris said, I think, um, I think it was needed. It really was good for me to have the action scenes, the fighting. It was a bit like, um, just blowing away some of the cobwebs. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it helped us reinvigorate, um, the, the series by having this action packed, uh, episode, uh, hostage based, all the players on the chessboard, as we've been saying, and the, it coming to some kind of resolution as well mm-hmm. with regards to, you know, uh, things beginning to drop for Inspector Priscilla, things, you know, starting to work out more for, uh, Misty Knight. You know, she's actually being believed now. Yeah. Um, the fact that, um, you know, you've got the main antagonist now in trouble, uh, Mariah Dillard, even though she wasn't on screen. It is that, you know, it looks like she's going to get found out. You've got Willis on the run. Um, and, you know, there's still two more episodes to see what actually happens. I just love the interaction with uh, Claire Temple, Luke Cage, and also in particular with Misty Knight. Yeah. Really good um, and I just, I just really enjoyed it. Um, I thought, you know, some nice little references all the way through this, whether it's back to other Marvel Netflix uh, shows, whether it's to music, whether it's to film, whether it's to TV. Will she, won't she lose the arm? Again, you know, one of those references really packed, uh, with sort of urgent energy about this episode, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree with you. Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do defend this episode of Luke Cage. I think I slightly gave it away by my total agreement with your uh, your score there. Um, in, t- in TV, these kind of episodes are called bottle episodes, where you set something in a very specific location for the entire one, or a, p- a pre-existing location, something you don't have to build from scratch. Um, sometimes they're the best episodes of the season, where you're not focusing all over the place in loads of different locations. It This does actually stand up as one of the best episodes of the season because it's focused within Harlem's Paradise and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of closing of, of the loop on a lot of the, uh, a lot of the questions that we've had all season. Everybody's now up to speed. Uh, as you say, Misty is now being believed or at least they're going to investigate on the idea that she's right, uh, which is really good. Um, we have a lot of distrust here that's, that everybody's confirming their distrust of Mariah, uh, which is again a really good development so that all the, everybody's working on the same side uh, against Willis Stryker and against Mariah Dillard, which is great to have it at this point in the series. So really looking forward to the next two episodes. I thought this episode was was top quality, the top, top end of the episodes this season so far. I think that's about it for our discussion on this episode. We did talk about some of the feedback that we got in on our Facebook group for this episode earlier on. We do have a little bit more from Robert Phillips. He says, lovely podcasters, hope you're back on two a week as the tension is rising now. Uh, what did I love about the show this week? Some of the cinematography. Diamondback in his office, but not a single shot put Biggie's crown on his head. Does this show that he's slipping? And the way there was a slight wobbly camera. Uh, help show that we were scared. I like that idea. Yeah, we did. We did mention the fact that obviously the uh, the painting of Biggie Smalls in uh, Cottonmouth's office uh, was behind the head of Diamondback, but we didn't mention that the actual crown never sat on oh, his yeah, head I the way it did that. in 
Yeah, no, I didn't think four. about that. Really good point, good uh, Robert. Yeah, good absolutely. Uh, next thing he's really excited about was Claire. He says, amazing at every point, except mixed up an artery and a vein. <laughs> Cage didn't mix them up, um, despite him being told to stick with the bulletproof shit name. <laughs> uh, Cage, he's the hero again. Aww. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a problem for the night nurse. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She should. I, I, I'm assuming it will. Okay, look, it's a stressful situation, people. Okay, stressful situation. True. Uh, Cage, he's the one that saved the girl and didn't get shot. The latter probably because of Queen Priscilla. No fear in her, and hold off the mayor and the chief of police. I think she might be on the right side of justice after all. Uh, yeah. So Robert had mentioned that he thought that Priscilla, the um, the one of the heads of the uh, Harlem PD, may be on the wrong side, maybe um, protecting somebody, but. He now agrees that she is uh, she is just a genuine cop doing her job. Yeah. Priscilla, queen of the desert, or Priscilla, queen of the precincts. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks very much for that feedback, Robert. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Cheers, Rob. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. Really good to be talking about episode 11 of Luke Cage. We've only got two more episodes left to go. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah, only two left. Yes. Wow. It's gone really quickly. It has, it has. But really enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we really enjoyed talking about these episodes overall. And thanks so much for joining us, as always. Uh, you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast over on DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes or pop on over to the website itself, DefendersTVPodcast.com. There's loads of subscribe options over there. Uh, and you can find us on any good or evil podcast catcher just by searching Defenders TV Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Sweet Christmas. Our family is Jack's. Thank you so much for listening, and we will speak with you next time. Bye. See you on the penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Penultimate. Bye. Bye. You think I'm holding back? Thanks for listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a TV podcast industries production. Our theme tunes provided by the wonderful Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings. If you want to help out the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to us, there's some really easy ways to do it. If you can share our episodes through your social media channels like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook or Google Plus, that gets some extra listeners into us. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating, just leave a five-star rating, click the button, or go to iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you straight to our page and leave us a review or a rating there. That always helps out independent podcasts. And also, as always, we love to hear your feedback about the show's interaction with our audience is what we really, really love. So you can send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.